Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We are in a series this Christmas season talking about why Jesus came. There's so many different reasons as to why Jesus came. He came for far more than just providing us an eternal home with God. And I'm glad about that because much of why he came affects us being here right now while we're still on the planet. And I'm going to go back to Isaiah 9. We've been looking at Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, but we started on Wednesday night looking now at Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus coming. This was a prophetic statement of the Lord Jesus being born in Isaiah chapter 9 and in verse 6. Isaiah 9 verse 6. If you're there, say amen. Amen. For unto us, say me, unto us a child is born, and unto us, say me, a son is given. This child was born for you. This son was given for you, unto us, unto us, us, a child was born. Unto us a son was given. And the government will be where? Upon his shoulder, meaning that he will come with all kingdom authority and therefore, it will now obviously be a part of what will be in all of eternity, a reality within this earth and all of heaven, that he receives all authority from heaven and in earth, and therefore, his government will be the reigning government, period. The kingdom, the, the dominion of the king, once he comes, which he did, that's why he went everywhere he, he traveled, he went everywhere saying, what, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's now here. This government was upon his shoulder. He brought it with him. And his name will be called what? Now, the actual Hebrew really does say it this way. Wonderful counselor. He's not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Now, think about that because a lot of times people, when they want to get help, they come to get counsel or whatever, they don't always like what you tell them. But the truth is, if it's what God says, it's wonderful. I said it's wonderful because it'll help your life. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He is the everlasting Father, the way to the Father. And he is also known as the Prince of Peace. He's the only way to true peace. The only way that we can once again have harmony with God is through Jesus. Seven, of the increase of this government and peace, there will be no end. Because from the time he stepped foot on this planet... And until the time we go into eternity, his government will increase his kingdom because every time somebody gets born again, guess what just happened? His government, kingdom, increased. His peace increased. Somebody got that peace of God. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Say he's come. And he's come for me. Turn to Genesis 1. And of course, not just for you, but the whole world. Genesis chapter 1. Again, as we've been talking about to know why he came, much of what we find out about why he came is revealed in the creation of what happened in the initial aspect of the fall 
in what we see as Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, creation of the earth, creation of man, and the fall of man. Now, I'm going to give you three things we've already talked about in relationship to what Jesus, as to why he came, has done for us. Number one, when man sinned, what did he lose? He lost the presence of God. He could no longer, obviously, walk in the glory of God's presence. That left him. That, that totally left him because where sin is, God's presence cannot fully abide. And so what Jesus did in providing a way for us to get born again is he did what? He restored to us God's presence. So why did he come? To restore us into God's presence or restore God's presence to us. That we now are one spirit with the Lord. Now there's a lot of implications of why that's important. And realize this series is not exhaustively teaching all the reasons as to, or all the aspects of what lies within the reasons of why he came, but to give you a good overview. Amen? See, he restored... God's presence to my life. Now, you ought to be aware of that every day. If you're not, you need to draw closer to him. Thank God he is a person called the Holy Spirit, and we can know and be aware of God's presence in our life every day. We should not be going through religious exercises as, as Christians walking through the earth. We should be walking in a relationship with our God so close that we're aware of him. Just like if, example, you've gotten very, you know, familiar with somebody like me with Kathy or somebody, you know, if, all, if you didn't see them, but they kind of walked into the room, sometimes you know they're there just by being aware of their presence without even seeing them. You and I should be that way with God. And he don't walk in the room. He goes everywhere you go. Wherever you go, he's with you. Say, I'm a carrier. The other cool part about that is, is when you show up anywhere, God shows up. So he did what? He restored God's presence to us. Second thing he did in that aspect of restoring God's presence, what happened when Adam first created, body of the dust of the ground, God breathed in him that very presence. What was the first thing Adam saw? Face of God. And the Bible reveals to us that's how he knew his identity. He was made in the image and in the likeness of God. Man's true identity. When I mean identity, I'm talking about your value and your worth. How you get your value and your worth in life. If you don't get your value and worth in life where God intended for it to come from him, you will forever fall far below your privileges as a believer if you're born again and you'll never walk in the true blessing and the true aspect of God's rest for your life. There's a rest for the children of God. How do you walk in that rest? Knowing my true identity. I don't need your approval. I don't have to prove myself to God to get his approval. Jesus did all this for me. God's not punishing me when I do wrong. Jesus bore my punishment. And there's nothing about my life that can't change. You don't say, well, that's the way I've always been. This is the way I've always done this. The way I've always... That's talking about the old nature. You're a new creation. Once you're a new creation, what can you do? Change anything about your life. Number two, say it. Jesus gave me my true identity back. So he didn't just give you identity back. Your true identity... Your true identity comes from what? Comes from, comes from God and God alone. When you find your true identity in God, and I taught you how to do that, four things I taught you how to be able to see the face of God to do that. When you get your true identity in God, you live a life of rest. You live a life of true joy. You know, it's like what we just sang. I love that song, man, joy, unspeakable joy. You know, uh, talking about joy to the world, but then the new part of that, of unspeakable joy. What did the angel say? What did the angel say to the shepherds out in the fields when after Jesus was born? We bring good news, which brings great joy. Not depression, brings great joy to all people. 
that you can now have great joy in life and live a true joyous life. Well, the way you do that is through your true identity. When you know your true identity in God, there's no reason not to have joy. Because you fully understand your value and worth. Amen? Then number three, we talked about this over uh, Wednesday night. On Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that clearly, and according to Genesis chapter 1, as we're about to read in a minute, God gave man the ability to have dominion. Say dominion. He gave him the ability to have dominion on the earth. Let's look at the verses and then we'll get into the fourth one. We're going to just kind of review real quick the third area we've already talked about. Verse 26 of Genesis 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. God said, let us make man in what? Our image, according to our likeness. Underline it, let them have dominion. Dominion. The ability to have dominion means the ability to rule. What that means is you're not ruled over. Amen. Things don't rule over you. You're the one in charge. You're the one ruling. Now, we're not talking about ruling over God and over people here. We're talking about ruling over the earth. Right. Talking about ruling over what's in the earth, which includes the work of Satan now. So again, he said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I believe the creeping thing he's referring to would be the devil. <laughs> Verse 27, God created man in his own what? Image. In the image of God, we touched on that constantly through that part of a true identity. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 28, God blessed them and God said to them, do what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and do what? Do what? Subdue it. How? Have dominion. Second time, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So relationship to dominion, did he restore dominion back? Well, in truth, he gave you the ability to have dominion. You don't have dominion without authority. It takes authority to walk in dominion. To walk in a position of rulership or a position of rule in any aspect of what you do, you got to be authorized. You listening? For a cop to take dominion over a car and tell it to stop, he's got to be authorized by somebody. If you go put on a uniform, you're not authorized. You listening? But if you obviously have gone through the training and proper acknowledgement of what it takes like Caleb has and our latest, uh, 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 how many of you know C.T. Fox, one of our longtime friends of our church, longtime friends of our, our church family and of Kathy and I, he's been dreaming and believing and, and, and working towards forever becoming a Texas Ranger. Uh, a week ago Tuesday, he became a Texas Ranger. So realize that he's authorized now. To do what? Take dominion. Yes. Take dominion. Well, so dominion doesn't refer to authority. Authority is what causes dominion to happen. God gives man authority, meaning it's not yours. Amen. Authority means you've been what? You've been authorized to use God's power. We've talked about this many times, but we touched on it very detailed on Wednesday night. Because God gave us power of attorney to use what? His power. It's not your power. If you think you have authority, all it means is he granted you the ability to use his power. The reason that's important is because, you know, when you come up against demonic powers or the works of Satan, you got to understand this as it relates to your ability to walk in dominion. It's not my power, devil, so therefore that's why you got to obey because I know how to use what God gave me, but it's his power. It's not me putting you in your place. It's God putting you in your place. But he authorized me to do it. He gave me a badge. I have a badge. I have a badge of authority, praise God. So number three, if you haven't figured it out yet, what's the third thing Jesus did? He restored to us our God-given authority. Our God-given authority. What God gave man with the authority to do what? Take dominion. 
to rule on the earth. That's critical for me and you as believers. If we're going to walk in victory as a child of God, we're going to have to understand that authority, how to use it, which I talked a little bit about that on Wednesday night, if you're going to walk in this position of dominion. Now, I want to show you something going to number four today. Back here again at verse 28. What did God do when he actually created man? What did it say he did in verse 28, first part? What did he do? He blessed them. Underline that. What did God do? He blessed them. God did not curse them. Say, God did not curse man. No, he didn't. What did God do? He blessed man. God blessed him with all that was, as we're about to see, all that was known as very good. So let's walk through the rest of these verses of creation here. So back to verse 28. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on the earth. 29. God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. 30. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was good. Uh, And it was so. Notice this, verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was what? Tell me. So this includes man now. Say very good. So God blessed us with all that's very good. God did not curse us. God blessed us. God blessed the earth initially. And all that he made was what? Very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we clearly see here, according to the scriptures, God blessed man in the initial stages of his creation. And all that he gave him was very good. Nothing of it was of darkness. Nothing of it was of a curse. It was all of a blessing. That God bestowed upon man that he wanted man to walk in. If you drop down to chapter 2 again, which we've looked at these verses, but we got to come back to them. If you drop down to chapter 2, pick it up in verse 15 again. And so again, the Lord God took the man whom he created. He put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And then, of course, the Lord God commanded him, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But again, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely what? You shall surely die. Now what made this the tree of good and evil, it would be good if you leave it alone. It becomes evil if you touch it because you're doing something, I'm telling you, that's bad for your life. And now you're going to know evil. Guess what God never intended for man to know? Because he created all that was very good. He blessed us. He brought no cursing. He brought nothing but blessing. But again, he said, but the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So understand this relationship to dying or death here. We know that he would have never died physically according to Scripture. He'd have lived for all eternity just like God. Why did God have to remove man from that garden? Because there was also the tree of life there that if he would have ate of that fruit, we don't all understand this, it's what the Bible teaches, then he would have lived for eternity, meaning that he would have lived in a damned state for eternity. There'd been no option for salvation. That's why he had to remove him from the garden. Everything in that garden was perpetually for God and and man eternally. And don't worry about it. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. So understand this though. So he said, if you eat of this tree, you'll what? You'll die. So here's how I want you to see this. In relationship to the Bible, it's really clear. There was no death. There was only what? Life. 
There was no death, so there was what? There was nothing that was evil. There was no death, so there was what? There was nothing that was a curse. There was only what? Blessing, life, and that which was very good. These were from God. These were from God. When man sinned, he opened the door by giving in to Satan and the temptation of Satan to eat the tree, eat of the fruit of the tree. What did he do? He brought death. So what is death? Everything opposite of what God gave. What did God give? Blessing. What did, what did Satan bring? A curse. He'll tell you that in chapter 3. We're not going to read it today, but when Adam sinned, he allowed death to come into the earth. So what did he allow to come into the earth? A curse that God had never intended to be here. And with that curse, I want you to understand, in relationship to death came every evil work. Say every evil work. When you think of this phrase about if the day you eat of that, you'll die, here's what it means. You will allow death in the natural to come, but you'll also, guess what? You'll also allow all the works of darkness to come with it. Because that's where all the workness of darkness come from. They come out of the aspect of death. What was, what was, was, which was, excuse me, the result of sin. So clearly in relationship to what man did in eating of that tree, what did he allow? He not only allowed death, he allowed what we know as the works of evil to come. Or the works of the devil. The works of the devil couldn't have happened had he not allowed death in the earth. If he'd have never sinned, that would have never taken place. And literally, you and I know this is relating to the works of, of what Satan brought into this earth that are evil. Clearly, that's all a result of what the sin that happened and occurred when Adam sinned. I'm going to show you that. I want you to turn with me for just a moment, if you would, to the book of Romans. <clears throat> Say, praise the Lord, somebody. Not like praise the Lord for what the curse is all about. We're going to see the result of what Jesus did to fix that. So if you come over here to chapter Romans with me for just a moment, you want to hold your place here because we're going to come back to it. But I want you to see this really quickly if you'll see this with me. In the book of Romans in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and what came? What came? Death through what? Say it out loud, please. Are you in Romans 5? If you're not there, turn there, please. Romans 5. I want you to see this. Hold, hold your place here because we're going to leave here for a second, but we're going to come back to it. I want you to see this verse. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and what again? What came? Death through what? Sin. And thus death did what? It spread to all men because all had sin. Now, we're going to come back to that, talk about that more. But here's what I want you to see about that word of death. I want you to get this. When you look at the aspect of the word death, here's what you got to relate it to in relationship to the work of sin in the garden that caused death to come into the earth. Now, there are different references in some cases for the word death, but as it relates to the sin of the fall of man, this is what it's actually talking about. Yes, it's talking about the spiritual death of your spirit man, which we're going to re reveal and deal with in a moment about what Jesus did to fix that, but here's how I want you to see it because here's a part of that spiritual death that occurred along with what else came with it. When you look at this word death, we're going to relate it to this in relationship to what the New Testament's going to tell us and it brought about all the works of Satan. It brought about all the works of Satan, of which none are good. And I'm going to show you that. So when he talks about the very fact that death came by sin, here's what we could relate it to as well. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin, through one man's sin, uh, excuse me, just as through one man's sin entered the world because of what he did, 
and therefore death through what? Sin. So here's how we could say it. And therefore, as through one man sin entered the world, and all the works of Satan through sin. All the works of Satan through sin. None of the works of Satan would have ever entered the earth had it not been for the sin that Adam committed. You listening? Now, I want you to put a marker here because at the end of today's service, although I've only got one other set of verses after this one I'm going to show you, we're going to go to, we're going to come back to there. So if you want to hold that, put a marker there. Turn with me, please, to the book of John. Go to John for a minute. Say, all the works of Satan came as a result of Adam's sin. Every work of Satan, every work of evil, all that is evil came as a result of the sin of man, And we therefore know why Jesus came. He came to deal with all the works of Satan as well. Because clearly that's why we needed a Savior. Praise the Lord. And in John chapter 10, which I've taught you this many times, I want to briefly touch on it for just a moment. In John chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, if you go through our membership classes, you'll get a teaching on this. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. He who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, I've taught you this many times. The shepherd here in verse 2 is not Jesus. In this analogy, he's about to tell you that. In this analogy, when you read this, you got to be careful because people immediately think he's talking about Jesus here. But it's not. When he talks about the shepherd, as you're about to see, he's talking about those who are acknowledged by him as truly gifted shepherds, but those who are not are thieves and robbers. Watch this. I say to you again, verse 1, he who does not enter the sheepfold. What's the sheepfold? That's where all of the body of Christ resides. All of the body of Christ is in a fold, but God wants you in an individual flock. You listening? I got it backwards. I always get it backwards. God has the flock of God, the body of Christ, but he wants you in a sheepfold. I apologize. And in that sheepfold, there are those who enter in, but if they come, in essence, by the door, they're called to be there, but if they come some other way, they're a thief and a robber. If somebody comes to a sheepfold, believers, a group of believers to, to lead them into what they would say would be green pastors, but they didn't come through the door, said they didn't come through the door, I want you to get that. I say to you, he who does not enter through the, sh- uh, the sheepfold by the door. Underline that. By the door. Circle the word door. Highlight the word door. If they come other, some other way into the sheepfold where God's church is, his body, his believers, but they don't come through the door, they come in some other way. Tell me again what they are. They're a thief and a robber. That's not good. They're a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door... He who comes in by the door is what? He's the shepherd. He's the shepherd of what? The sheep. Notice verse 3. To him the doorkeeper. So there's a doorkeeper to this door. To him the doorkeeper. Who does the doorkeeper open to? The real shepherd. The doorkeeper opens and the sheep do what? Hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by what? Calls them by name and he leads them out. Now, many in this church, in length of time, know that this is so simple. You could teach it to a kindergarten kid and they could get it. Most Christians have read over it and never picked it up. But we don't look for a church as a body of believers. We look for a shepherd. God, by Jesus Christ, has ordained and anointed a shepherd for us to lead us in and out to feed us the word of God. 
So realize that doorkeeper opens to the one who's called by God to lead those sheep out. Who's the doorkeeper? Holy Spirit. He anoints them to do so. As you're about to see Jesus, the true door is the one through whom they came. Look at this. Verse 4. He brings out his own sheep and he goes before them. You know what I know? Not everybody's called to be my sheep. But I also know there's some that have come in and out that were called and they're no longer here. But he brings out his own sheep and he goes before them. Goes before them. What does he do? Goes before them. The pastor can't teach you one thing and live something else. He got to set an example. Notice, and the sheep do what? They follow him. Why? How do I know where I'm supposed to go to church? The last part of verse 4. That's the key. As a believer, you got to know when you hear the voice of a shepherd of where God called you, God, God gifted and anointed a shepherd to help you to develop you in the things of God, something in your spirit when you heard me teach, maybe for the first time, lit up in you. Amen. Something acknowledged in your spirit. There's something different about this pastor. I don't know. There's something different. You might say about the church, but the truth is, once you've heard the voice right. of the shepherd... Now, if you have actually have not had that acknowledgement in your heart, then you need to pray about whether this is where God wants you or not. The greatest blessing you can have after being born again is finding your true shepherd. But once you do, the devil's going to do everything he can to get you out of there. Because he knows better than most Christians that if I can get you away from your true shepherd, I don't care if you go to church. As long as you're not under the one anointed by God to help raise you up, train you up, grow you up, I'll get you to somebody who'll just tickle your itching ears and really tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to know. And I'll just lead you down a further path of deception because you'll think you're okay with God. Look at verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. True sheep, not goats. There are goats in the body of Christ. I don't have time to teach on that. True sheep will wind up finding their shepherd. Six, Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. So he then clarified what he said. Verse 7. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am what? Tell me out loud. So the example he just gave you, who is, who is he in that example? He's not the shepherd. He's not the doorkeeper. He's the door. Ephesians 4 tells you Jesus is the one who gives shepherds, as well as apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and teachers. He gives us these five gifts to help us to be equipped. So who gives us the gift of a shepherd? Jesus does. Jesus being the ultimate shepherd. I'm not trying to take Jesus' place in anybody's life. As he goes on to talk later after verse 10, I'm the good shepherd. That means he's the ultimate over-shepherd. But I give shepherds to help you. I'm the door through whom they must come. Well, guess what? If you got something in a pulpit who wasn't gifted by Jesus, acknowledged both by Jesus in their heart and leadership above their life, they don't belong there. You listening? What is the person that's in a pulpit that's not there through Jesus? Verse 1, the same as a thief and a robber. Please don't forget that. What are they? They're a thief and a robber. Thus said Jesus. You listening? This is why when you go to church, you should know, do I have a shepherd? Do I have a leader over my life who's a godly man who truly acknowledges the gift of God on my life to be a shepherd? Nobody should be in the fivefold ministry without leadership over their life, proven in the book of Acts, to acknowledge that you have this gift and ability. The, the Bible's clear. You should not want to become one of these fivefold if you're not called. Right. <laughs> you're going to stand a stricter judgment. Right. But you got to understand this. There's no way that a shepherd should be in a pulpit and not, not acknowledged by leadership above him that he has that gift. Thus said the book of Acts. I don't have time to teach on that. That's a proven fact to the book of Acts. 
Can I get a better amen? Yes. See, I don't want to be in a nothing against certain denominations. I'm just trying to use an example. I don't want to be in a denomination under the shepherd who's there, not because leadership knows he has a call, but they just hired him. Just right. hired somebody willing to do it. That's called a hireling. When things get tough, he'll go and they'll hire somebody else. Something wrong with a church that keeps hiring and firing pastors. Couldn't hire and fire Paul. Couldn't hire and fire Peter. Couldn't hire and fire these guys once they were called. You listening? Why? Jesus gifted them. He put them in that position. Well, what if they get out of line? What if they actually violate the Bible? That's why they should have leadership over them, as I do. And in January, you'll get to see my pastor again. That's why I go to meetings that I go to to sit under him. So you need leadership to acknowledge it. So notice this again. He says in verse 7, I'm the door of the sheep. Eight, all whoever came before me, or in other words, not by me. Again, he reminds you, what are they? They're thieves and robbers. But the sheep, in other words, the word sheep here means those who listen. You ready for this? Those who listen, hear it, and obey. How do I know if I'm a true sheep? You listen, hear it, and obey. You can be born again and be a goat again. Jesus referred to, to goats in the body of Christ. But literally, a true sheep listens, hears, and obeys. So the true sheep, again, they don't follow these thieves and robbers. They get connected with who they're supposed to be connected with, and they follow them. Uh, just a little side note. This just hit me the other day. You know, I was, I was meditating on some things the other day, and the Lord just spoke to me. Said, he said, uh, the greatest blessing any pastor can ever have, which I have, is to have pastored people as you have for many, many years who started under you very young, who now are married and have children. Amen. And you see their children living the same godly life that they live. Because that pastor, or excuse me, that parent received what you had for them, lived it, imparted it to their kids, and now you see it in their children. There's no greater joy in a pastor's life. Because you know what? I know I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I just shared with you what God says about how to do that. You applied it. And not only are you living proof, your kids are living proof. I'll pause. Nine, I'm the door again. What is he? I'm the door. If anybody enters by me, so Jesus is the one that obviously all believers get into the sheepfold by. If anyone enters by me to the sheepfold, he'll be what? Saved? What's he going to do? Go in and out and find pastor. So verse 9, he's telling me and you that for anybody just to even get into the body of Christ, what do they got to do? Come through him. But then who also comes to him to take those sheep in and out to feed them? The shepherd does. You still with me? So verse 10 is a very famous verse, but most people don't ever equate it to what he said in the first nine verses. Verse 10, the thief does not come. Wait a minute, who's the thief? According to these, wait, these verses. According to these verses, who's the thief? He said it twice. The one who didn't come through me, who's trying to shepherd the people. That's, you can't take, if you don't take it out of context, we know the ultimate thief is Satan. And the Bible even tells us in the book of Corinthians, he has his own ministers who seem right. Ministers who seem like they're righteous, but they're not. They're misleading people. They're taking advantage of people. We know Satan is the ultimate thief, yes. But in this context, who's the thief and the robber? The one who didn't come to Jesus. The one he didn't anoint to be there. You listening? The thief does not come except to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Ultimately, we know who therefore is using him. Satan is. And I have come, say Jesus came. Here's another reason that they may have what? Life and that they may have a what? More abundantly. Life here is life as God has it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Zoe life, you ready? 
the blessed life, yes. not the cursed life. Right. You listening? Yes. The one he talks about in Genesis, the very good life, yes. not the bad life, yes. not the bad full of all the works of darkness, but the life full of, filled with all the works of God, yes. all the goodness of God. I've come to give you that kind of a life. And more abundantly. Now, sadly, as a little side note, because i got to touch on this. Sadly, do you know why most Christians never walk in this fullness of life? I'm going to tell you why. They've never found their shepherd. And or they won't stick with him. Every time that God puts me in this pulpit, he doesn't have something to say to me. Although he speaks to me, he has something to say to you. Your shepherd has something to say to you to help you with. Right? What if I don't find my shepherd? You don't find the ultimate gift God created for you. To help you understand the Word of God. I've heard many great ministers and I've learned a lot from many great ministers. But the first time we ever heard Dr. Mark Barclay teach us, we had no idea who the guy was. I mean, he captivated me. And it wasn't because he was some great way that he spoke or some wonderful presentation or he learned all these things, you know, of homiletics, although he did, uh, in, in school. And he could just lay out a perfect sermon to where he could just captivate anybody. No, it was by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. I, I can't, I, to this day, I cannot forget the first sermon my pastor preached. I, you, most of you may not even remember the first sermon you heard me preach first time, but I'll never forget the first sermon my pastor preached, man. Never. Called the smell of bacon. I can see him running back and forth across the platform and what he was doing and these examples he was giving. And when he got done with that sermon, Kathy, we were, I was believing God. I was already a pastor. This is a minister's conference. And I was praying, God, I need a shepherd. I need a pastor. I don't need to be without one. I need a pastor. Thank God for Coy, gifted evangelist who recognized the call of God on my life. Right? God used him to birth this church as an apostle to this church. Thank God for Coy. But even Coy knew I needed a shepherd. And man, when I had been praying for two years and we heard Dr. Mark Barclay for the first time, I turned to Kathy and I said, we need to go find out more about this guy. And guess why I actually had that difference in recognition of hearing him? Because I was hearing the voice of my shepherd. I didn't even know what I'm teaching you now. I didn't even know this. I just knew I needed a shepherd. Because I knew nobody's to be without a shepherd. So if we have the proper shepherd, we're not listening to the thief. Right? If we're paying attention to our shepherd. If we're under the wrong teacher, guess what? Then the thief comes to do what? Still kill and destroy. Name everything Satan has ever done to mislead people into the works of darkness. And I'm going to tell you what, in ultimate truth, it all came through a pulpit somewhere of somebody who was not anointed to be there. Because God said in his word, even all creation reveals there is a God and that he's good. Has anybody in your life ever heard God doesn't heal everybody? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Now, I'm going to tell you why you heard that. Maybe you didn't sit in a church where they taught it, but somebody did. Somebody heard it in a church somewhere. From a minister that was either deceived, ignorant, or not called to be there. And therefore, he taught that to his people. And because he taught that to the people that were there, guess what? They began to believe it. I hear this statement all the time. You ever heard this statement? Everything happens for a reason. Have you ever heard that statement? I see. I'm so ready to punch on this, man, on, on my social media. I'm about to. Because I, I heard it again from a good friend the other day. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know what they mean by that? Everything that happens in my life, God has a reason for it. Here's what you just said by that statement. What you do is, is totally controlled by God. It doesn't matter what you do. The choices you make, he's making them. No, no, no. 
If you say it in a way to say everything happens for a reason, meaning whatever happens had a reason for it, well, that's the same as saying, okay, so God had a reason for the drunk driver to hit a car full of innocent people and kill them? No, he didn't. God had a reason to fly planes into the trade towers? No, he didn't. No, this is a work of evil. Jesus declared it in John 10, 10. I didn't come. I didn't come to bring evil. I didn't come to steal. I didn't come to kill. I didn't come to destroy. I came to give you what? Blessing. Very good life. All that was true of the garden. Of what he stated about man in the garden. Blessing, not cursing. Came to give you life, which is God's way of living, not cursing. And that what? More abundantly. That you could have it abounding in you. So this is why Jesus came. Well, you know, that's Jesus. Well, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I represent the Father. I'm just here to tell you what he said. I'm just here to show you him. Can I get a better amen? Amen. So understand very clearly, everything that's a work of darkness, again, came as a result of what? Sin, which allowed death to enter the world, including false truths about God that are clearly not true. So this whole thing, everything happens for a reason. In a sense, that's true. There's a partial truth there. But what you mean by that is, whatever happens in my life, God had a reason for it. That means you're a robot and you're really not making the choices you make. That means God's making your choices. But that's not true. If that was true, Adam would have never sinned. God's not a sinner. He had a free will. Say, I have a free will. Because God's not a sinner, guess what he won't do? Cause people to sin. So there is no such truth that everything happens for a reason as if there was a reason why this bad happened in my life. God had a reason for it. God had a reason. No, he didn't. Let me tell you why everything happens in life. You ready? The Bible tells you. Book of Galatians, you ready? Whatever a man sows that he shall reap. If he sows to his flesh, corruption. If he sows to the spirit, life. Oh, so the decision is mine. Yes. So everything does happen for a reason in life. Yeah. Happens because of what? Man's choices. Man's decisions. And thank God we can choose life. Go to 1 John 3 now. Come on. You still with me? So why did he come? To give us life and that more? Not cursing. Not cursing. Why did you go over those verses? Because how am I going to fully develop in this life and that more abundantly? You're going to have to have a shepherd. Thus saith John chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly. Why did he spend nine verses talking about a shepherd that's called by him and one that's not, and the one that's not is the thief and the robber? Well, if the one that's not called is a thief and a robber, what is the one that is called? He's the one that's going to help lead me in to life and that more abundantly. But I can't do it without a shepherd. I'm going to have to have a shepherd to help me learn these things and to walk in them. Amen? First John, and I should say a shepherd anointed by God. First John chapter 3, verse 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. Get ready to shout. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But notice this, for this purpose. The Son of God was manifest, or came, underline it, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Number four. Number four reason why he came. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil, which relates to all that's a part of the curse, which relates to death. That's why I told you when you talk about death relating to the sin of man, it's also referring to what? The works of Satan. 
the works of Satan. No works of the devil would have gotten in the earth had it not been for sin. Because of sin, death came, resulting in what? The works of evil or the works of Satan. But guess why Jesus came? One of the reasons he came, destroy the works of the devil. Now that don't do us any good if that's going to be in heaven. He came to do that right here on earth. I love the Amplified in this. I got to read the Amplified on this verse. 1 John 3, 8 Amplified. You ready? You're not shouting too much. Maybe this will help you. But you ought to learn when to shout about things that are good. He who commits sin, who practices evil doing, is of the devil. Now I'll talk about this maybe some other time. But that referring to the fact that a believer born again doesn't want to practice sin. What you practice, you want to get good at. If you want to get good at something, guess what you're going to do? Practice it. It, It's those who are not born again who want to practice sin, get good at it. Believers don't want to sin. There's nothing about their heart that wants to sin. He who commits sin who practices evil doing is of the devil. In other words, he's not been born again yet. And he still has taken his character from the evil one. For the devil has sinned, violated the divine law from the beginning. Listen carefully. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. I'll try it one more time. The reason the Son of God was made manifest. Why do you want us to shout? Because He came to give you great joy. The last Sunday when people had great joy, they even shouted. They got excited. Come on, man. Your kid makes a touchdown or hits a home run. Guess what You know, parents do? They shout. I've never seen a parent watch their kid get, hit a home run and just say, boring. We should do something else. Are you kidding me? You know whose parent, uh, who's the parent of that kid? You listening? When we drew, when we drew, you know, names for prizes, right? Some of the little kids, you know, the infants and stuff. You knew who's who, who was the parent of that child that got drawn? Because the minute we mentioned their name, what they do? Woo! They were excited. You're not excited about what Jesus came to do. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, visible, was to undo, undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. That's not an eternity. That's now. That's right now. As we saw on Wednesday night, part of the reason why Colossians says that he stripped him of his authority. Right? Stripped him of his authority. Like Revelation, is it 1 or 2? 17 says, he took the keys back. He took the keys back. What is it? 118. He took, the Bible talks about in Revelation that when Jesus came up from the dead, who had keys at representing authority on the earth? Who had the, all the authority of heaven when he came down here? Jesus did. Right? But when Jesus was raised from the dead and sent his disciples out, he said all authority in heaven, which he already had, and in has been given to me. When did he get the authority that was here on earth? When he went into hell and came back from the dead, he stripped Satan of that authority. So he has come to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Say it. My Jesus came to destroy in my life the works of the devil. And so he did for everybody. 
John 10, 10 is clear about that. Back to Romans 5 where I told you to hold on. So let's go back here and close here for this morning. Romans chapter 5. This is going to be kind of part one of number four. I don't do, I obey God and what, I, I study, I pray, I ask God to give me verses. What do you want me to show them? What do you want me to share with them? So there's no way I can talk about all this in relationship to one setting today. We'll get back into it tonight and maybe even further on Wednesday. We'll see how we do tonight to understand how to walk in the light of that. I want you to get a picture today. There's not a work of the devil that he hasn't come to destroy. When he created the earth, did he create cursing? No. What did he create? Blessing. What did he create for us to walk in? Blessing. Romans chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 6 now. We read verse 12 already, but now we're going to back up. If you would, back up to verse 6. For when we were still without strength, this is talking about one who wasn't born again. You didn't have the ability, in other words, strength in yourself to save yourself. Couldn't do it. You needed Jesus. So when we were without strength in due time, Christ did what? He died for the ungodly. So that'd be for everybody. Watch this. Verse 7. For scarcely, rarely, for a righteous man will one actually die in somebody else's place. Yet perhaps for a good man... Someone would even dare to die, but none of us were righteous nor good. Are you listening? Nobody dies in the natural. Nobody will take the place and die in the place of somebody who's evil and wicked. They might do it for somebody who's somewhat good or righteous in their sight. But guess what? When we were still ungodly, Christ died for us. We weren't righteous nor good. There was none good but one God. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. You ought to underline that. He gave us a demonstration of his love. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. God's proof that I love you. Well, you were still a sinner and did not deserve for me to send my son to die in your place. I sent him to die in your place. If there's nothing more that will prove God's love to you than that, you'll never get it. That even though I was still a sinner and clearly did not deserve salvation and clearly did not deserve for Jesus to die for me, he didn't die because I deserved it. He did so because he what? He loves me. Say it was a demonstration of his love. Verse 9, moving on, much more than having now been justified by his blood. We touched on this earlier in this series. We shall be what? Saved from wrath through him, the judgment of God for sins. 10, for if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more now, having been reconciled, we shall be what? Saved by his life. I want you to hear that verse again. Listen carefully. For if when we were enemies, before you were born again, you were an enemy of God because of sin. If we were enemies, yet we were reconciled to God because of what Jesus did through the death of his son. How about now? Much more. Now that you're born again. Much more having been reconciled, restored back to God. Listen, we shall be saved by his life. Saved from what? The works of the devil. The works of the devil. You'll be saved. You'll be delivered from the works of the devil. He's telling you, you don't have to wait to get to heaven. Verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation full restoration to relationship with God 12 therefore just as through this one man Adam sin entered the world and the result of that was what death and all the works of Satan through sin 
And thus, therefore, death did what? It spread to all men. Death and all the works of Satan spread to all men because all what? All fell prey to that sin. 13, for until the law. Now, the law here is the Mosaic law. The law here is the Mosaic law, referring to the Mosaic law, which also included the Ten Commandments. I'll show you more about this tonight. This will be powerful. For some of you who have never heard this before, this could be life-changing for you to get free from the works of the devil. Watch this. Again, he said in verse 13, For until the law, for until the law, the law of Moses, Ten Commandments, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when, where there, when there is no law. If there was no speed limit sign out here, no law that I could only go 55, then I could drive 100 and they cannot arrest me nor stop me nor give me a ticket. I'd kind of like that, but you probably wouldn't because all the other crazy drivers out there could do the same thing. And it's bad enough as it is. So until the law came, impute means God did not actually deal with man's sin until the law came to prove that you have now violated my law. But yet what? Death still spread to all of mankind. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So the effect of it was still seen. Even though there was no law to say you'd violated God's laws, the death of what the obvious effect of that uh, death, the works of Satan, still reigned through Adam to Moses. It's seen through all that time frame. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So what do we see even through Adam to Moses' life? The works of the devil. Works of Satan. 15, but the free gift. Say free gift. So this is what we're going to have to get a hold of tonight. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more, notice the grace of God and the gift... By the grace of the one man, say one man, man. not you, by the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to what? Many. Many. 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in what? Condemnation. Or in other words, eternal damnation or separation from God, which would mean also separation from what? Life, blessing, all that he promised that was good. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in what? Justification. 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. So what reigned through the one? What reigned? This is what I want you to get in closing this morning. What reigned because of this offense of Satan, uh, offense of Adam? Now, define it for me. All the works of Satan. All the works of Satan. What's been reigning in this earth in relationship to man through the aspect of sin, all the works of Satan. If by one man's offense, death and all the works that resulted of that, all the works of Satan reigned through the one, much more. more. You need to listen. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. How do you do that? You get born again. Listen carefully. Will reign in cursing. No. Will reign in evil. No. Will, will be reigned by all the works of darkness. No, no. They will reign in what? Life. Zoe. Yes. They will reign in life. How? Through the one, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to destroy the works. Jesus came to destroy the works, the works, the works, the works of Satan. What reigned in this life, what has reigned sadly in this earth 
since Adam sinned, the works of Satan. All right, I'm going to give them to you real quick, and then we're going to start looking at them tonight. What are the key works of what we see of Satan in the earth relating to what the Bible tells us? Three things. One, spiritual death. It's a work of Satan. People die spiritually because of a work of Satan. Sin causes you to die spiritually and therefore lose your very, very relationship with God. How, here's what's cool, and I don't, have time to, I don't have time to go into this. I don't want to go too far here. Romans 7 will teach you this. I've, I've asked evangelists this all my life because I've seen this truth. Brother Hagin helped me see it. I've asked evangelists all my life. So you teach that unless somebody's born again, they go to hell. Yeah, absolutely. What happens to a baby when they die? They go to heaven. That's not what you just told me. You told me anybody who's not born again goes to hell. How'd that baby get born again? Well, I don't know. Let me tell you something. They didn't yet need to be born again. There comes a time when you have to be You're born once. Of a woman in the earth. Yep. Anybody know that? Yes. And when you come to the knowledge of sin, Romans 7, yep. Paul said, you die. Yep. When is that? Individually different for every person. But any child that did not come to the knowledge of sin, that's why they're so much more aware of spiritual things than adults. Yep. Because guess what? They belong to God. This ain't hard to figure out. I dealt with Tim Grisham on this one time. He was still scratching his head after our conversation. I said, Tim, think about it. Where do all spirits come from? They come from God, right? He's the father of all spirits, the book of James says. What are you? You're a spirit. Where do you live? In a body. Well, when does that spirit enter that body? We really don't know whether it's at conception or when the child's brought into the earth. Nobody can answer that question biblically. But here's the truth. When you come into this earth, you have a spirit. Where does it come from? It didn't come from the devil. If your spirit's fallen from the time you get born again, then Satan's a creator of spirits. But he's not. This is good news. He's the father of all spirits. But the Bible says, Romans 7, Paul said, I came to this understanding one day that when I came to the knowledge of sin, I died. Now, this is in the Bible. Well, what do you mean he died? He didn't die physically. He's writing the letter. What did he do? He died spiritually. When you come to the knowledge of sin, you must now be what? Born a second time. Amen. You be born spiritually a second time. You need to have that spirit of God breathe back in you. Come on, somebody. It's so simple. You know, you got to have men to mess this up. You do. You have to have religion and men to goof it up because it's so black and white in the Bible. It's so simple. You tell people this today, they're like scratching their head. I don't get that. You know why? Because they've been taught wrong. They've been taught religion, not the Bible. To say that anybody born into this earth is of a sin nature of their spirit and they go to hell would be to say Satan is the creator of spirits, but he's not. God's the creator. Come on, somebody. So realize this, but once you come to the knowledge of sin, you what? You die. And therefore now, what becomes a part of rulership over your life? Sadly, the works of Satan. This is why you start dealing with disease and sickness. This is why you start dealing with all the effects that come along with the aspect of spiritual death. You start dealing with depression and fears. You never had much. I mean, why is it most kids initially early on tend to not be afraid of anything? I'm going to tell you why. Because they're not affected so much by their outer nature. They're affected more by their spirit. That's the reason they're so much more bold. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Power. Love. Sound mind. 
So you and I got to understand this. This is clear according to the Bible. I want you to see this. In verse 17, our key verse here, when Adam sinned, death came in and reigned. What was the reigning factor? Death and all the works of death. What did Jesus do? He came to destroy the works of death. And when he gave us new life through the gift of righteousness, the last part of verse 17, guess what it says here? That we can now reign in life, meaning what? Life can now reign over us, no longer death. Before you were born again, you didn't have a choice. Guess what ruled over you? Death, including the works of death. Guess what should not be ruling over your life anymore? And the works of death. Jesus came to free you from it. What are the works of death? Spiritual death. Works of death or spiritual death. Two, sickness and disease. Three, poverty and lack. Because those things affect every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. And you're going to see it according to the Bible. This is what Jesus did to destroy. If you look at the works of Satan, it, it, it encounters one of those three areas. Spiritual death, sickness and disease, poverty and lack. That's all he's got to work with. That's all he's got to work with. As you're going to see tonight, spiritual death refers to your value and worth too. And this is where he affects people by getting them to have a false identity and not recognize their true identity, their true nature as a child of God. But thank God Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Jesus did what? The reason the Son of God was manifest, made manifest, visible, was to undo, destroy, loosen, and dissolve the works the devil has done. You don't have to be ruled by spiritual death, false identity. Christians have proven this. Men and God have proven it. You don't have to be ruled by sickness and disease. You don't have to have it reign over your life anymore. It might attack you, but you can boot it out. You don't have to be reigning. You don't have to have reigning over you, poverty and lack. Are you listening? Why? Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What did God do when he created man? He blessed him. What did Satan do when he gave in? He cursed him. Cursed him spiritually, cursed his body, cursed his finances. He was a blessed man until Satan got in the earth. You listening? He was a healthy man until Satan got in the earth. He was a spiritual powerhouse until the devil got in the earth. But Jesus did something about it. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.